Hey everyone, and welcome back to another book podcast. This week we had the lovely Becky Hunter in the office to talk about her incredibly moving debut novel, One Moment, which is out now. Becky tackles a lot of difficult themes in her novels, such as mental health, grief and illness, and still manages to make the overall message centre around love and the power of human relationships. I'd like to add in a quick disclaimer here to say that before you go any further into the episode, Becky and I do discuss all of these difficult themes throughout. I also want to apologise in advance for the audio quality. One of our microphones was down, so my side of the conversation isn't up to our usual standard, but it'll be back up and running for next time, I promise. Anyway, enough from me. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. As per usual, a quick disclaimer. Despite any connections to the publishing industry, all opinions on books and biscuits are completely our own here at Another Book Podcast. So let's dive into this week's episode. So hi, Becky, and welcome to Another Book Podcast. Thank you so much for being on the episode today. Thank you for having me. Well, let's jump right in. So you started your career as a book publicist and then you moved into being an author. So how has that been? Yeah, um, so I started um, as a book publicist, sorry, I can't pronounce it, Um, about 10 years ago, I think. Um, I'm now like working backwards with my age. (laughs) Um, And um, I had actually tried to write a book before that. So I'd um, tried to get published published in that kind of naive 21 year old self like weird certainty that I'd get published um but the book was terrible um and I think I think I think then I just put writing on hold and decided to to work in publishing and um I think anyone that works in public will you know (laughs) um uh will tell you that it's very all-consuming job um and being a book publicist is a lot of out of hours work so you kind of go to events with authors um so um yeah it's very all-consuming um and it's been weird moving so I'm now freelance and I think being freelance um means that I'm able to do both um because I can manage my time but um it's weird kind of being the other side of it so as a publicist um you're you know I don't know how many people know what book publicist (laughs) does but you're you're trying to get reviews for authors and um like get get them events and get them interviews um and you know a lot about the industry um and I I thought that would make it really easy to to transition to being an author because I thought it would make me calmer but actually I think it's made me worse and I think because I know a bit too much I know I can read between the lines so I know if things are going well or not going well whereas you know as in as an industry I've one of my friends who's a writer pointed out that we are very reluctant to tell authors any bad news, for instance. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, n- not that anything bad has happened with the book, but I have noticed that being the other side, that um, there are things you get told and things you don't. Yeah. And I find the things you don't harder knowing this other side of it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you want that transparency more and you do understand how hard it is then. You know the competition and the sheer volume of books that these reviewers get sent and that have to read through like each month. I mean, it's really cutthroat. Yeah, and and I and I thought it would make it me calmer, but actually, yeah, I I, I know how difficult it is, and, and in some ways, it's made me a lot more anxious. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I think um, I was convinced I would be a dream author as well. I was like, oh, I'll be such an easy author because I understand the other I side know. of it, and I'm terrible. <laughs> My poor publicist, I like she has to deal with me kind of 
I, I was forcing her to have like weekly chats at one point over the and I was like I, and I kept being like I do know how much time this is but <laughs> yeah it's really it is hard and I have tried not to be a nightmare author but it's um harder than I thought not to, not to cross yeah. that line <laughs> But yeah, just going back, you said you've written a book before. Did you find that to be quite a natural transition then from working in the book world to then writing on yourself? I think I always wanted to be a writer. So um, there wasn't ever a time where I didn't want to be published. It's just that there is greater or lesser degrees to which I was trying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, <laughs> I remembered when I was doing some of the, the publicity for this book that I actually first tried to write a book when I was 11. <laughs> And um, it was called The Ghost and was unsurprisingly about a ghost. (laughs) And um, I think I wrote like 30 pages on Word on on the computer and and I made my older sister type up a little bit because I couldn't (laughs) type fast. And um, then we accidentally deleted it all. Just we were supposed to be going bowling, I think. And and then I accidentally deleted basically the whole thing. And and I I think even at age 11... There was this story of a so now I can't remember what the books are called, but there was a story of this sixteen-year-old who had got a books ch- children's books published, and um, at eleven I was like, well, if she can do that, I can, <laughs> I can do that. Do that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then I, and then I did seriously try to write one when I was twenty-one, and that was where I, I wrote it on the summer break from university, and um, that was the point where I didn't know anything about publishing because I hadn't started working in it, and I was that's when I was weirdly convinced was going to be. Um, published and um, I remember reading about all the statistics and, you, and I, I know a lot more about statistics now but um, the one I was reading at the time was how hard it is to get an agent so that and, and the, statistic, the statistic is that on average agents get about 200 submissions a week and will take on about four new authors a year. Mm, but at the same time I can imagine that happening because of the amount of general submissions we get we then get the same amount of agented submissions and then you look at some of the general submissions that we get sent through. For example, one of them was published earlier this year, Cuckoo in the Nest by Fran Hill. It's such an amazing book and it's written so well and yet somehow she didn't get an agent. It's just crazy. There's examples as well, I think, of people doing really well self-published, aren't they? And then, mm-hmm. then, then who move um, yes. because the book's done so well and they don't always have agents at the beginning. But I had read that and really wanted an agent. in my <laughs> and, um, and I remember reading that statistic and being like, that won't apply to me. I'll be definitely be one of the four. Um, and I don't know why I was so confident. It was weird. Um, and obviously the book was not very good and it did not get an agent. And I actually then wrote two other books. That w- that it was the, fir- the first book was a YA like fantasy book and it was very indicative of what I was reading at the time. It was like <laughs> classic love triangle. And, um, and I wrote a couple more YA books and I did actually get an agent... Um, I'm just trying to think of the order of it. So I, I, was, I, I was working in publishing by this point. So I worked uh, for a year in a, in a school as a like supply teacher. But um, after that, I moved to London and got a job as a publicist. And actually, I really wanted to be an editor, which is like what everyone says when yeah. they want to move Same. into publishing. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I want to be an editor. And, it, and, I, and I think I didn't really realise there were so many other jobs in publishing. And I've heard other people say that, that um, you think of publishing and you think of an editor, right? So, yeah... I thought I'd be an editor, couldn't get a job as an editor, and then started applying for everything, mm. um, and got a job as a publicity assistant. And even then, at the beginning, I was I was sure I wanted to be an editor. And then, I can't remember when it changed, a year or so down the line, I was like, no, I'm, I like being a publicist. Mm, that's exactly the same as what happened to me. It was a couple of months in that it just dawned on me that I didn't want to be an editor. I mean, 
just like us, they have a lot of out of hours work, but I would say they have way more of it and they don't just get to go to lovely events like we do. Um, and they just end up reading for work all the time, whether they're reading submissions or line editing or proofreading. And it just takes up so much of their weekends and evenings as well as their like, you know, normal nine to five working hours. I mean, I um, I actually do some like freelance editorial work um, for literary consultancy. So people that are trying to get a kind of foot, foot published and they want feedback on the manuscript. And I have edited a few um, books for, for publishers, but um, I think I've got the right one. And that's so good. You know, you've got a bit of what you're looking for in the editorial sense. And then you've also discovered this other side of the business that you maybe didn't know was there before. Yeah, there's so many jobs on there. And, and it's I don't think until you start working in them, you really realise um, yeah. what everyone does. So would you say that it was then more your love for writing that led you into publishing rather than the other way around? I mean, I loved reading, I think. And that's what all writers say, like writers are readers, right? That's the that's yeah. the best like advice that anyone ever gives you um and I think because I loved reading I therefore loved writing and loved publishing so I suppose it was more that way around um but I was trying to write I think I got put off for a while being so I, I, I got an agent actually when I was um a, an assistant I think a publicity assistant and that went out that book went out really widely on submission and there was lots of excitement at that stage and then it just didn't sell to publishers and that was also something I hadn't oh. really realized even working in publishing at the beginning I didn't realize how many agented books mm. don't go on to get um deals I, I was uh, with an editor yesterday and no day before Monday and um he said he reckons that 25 only 25 percent of the books that go out on submission through agents to editors get published yeah, which was insane which is just crazy because it's such a struggle to get an agent and then if you're lucky enough to get an agent it's then another struggle to get it accepted by a publisher even though even through the agent and just because it's not getting published also doesn't mean it's not a good book I mean we've had to turn down some fantastic manuscripts simply because we're like not the right fit for them and it usually comes down to like genre and audience I mean like I absolutely love a romance novel um, but at the moment we're not publishing romance because that's not what we've built up in our list hopefully we will one day but at the moment that's not what we publish um, so then that means that any romances that come in we then just have to say no because we wouldn't be able to do that book justice so you kind of have to think about that when you're submitting books but it's really hard to not you know take it personally yeah it doesn't yeah it doesn't mean it's not good I mean I think um it was nice having an agent because I was like well somebody likes it even yeah, if yeah um but it was also a real like real learning curve um and it took me a while and that hadn't happened again um the book before I wrote before one moment um got I, I i i moved agents but I, w I, w I went out on submission again to agents and got like five offers offers of representation and um wow. was convinced that that book was going to be the one and it, again it didn't sell to publishers and the feedback was that it just sat two between genres and it mm -hmm. wasn't quite crime and it wasn't quite reading group so it didn't really work and that was also again another another learning curve but um some reason I kept picking myself up and it eventually worked <laughs> so one moment the book we're here to talk about that's your debut yes um so and it was the not the first book I wrote but <laughs> the first book to get published yeah. um yeah and 
weirdly was the quickest book I've ever written and, and um, really? it was the one that made it and I and I don't know maybe yeah. and after the other books didn't get accepted when you hoped they would did that make you more hesitant yeah, yeah. Um, I was really panicked um, and I think that's why I wrote it so quickly because I was like right. either I've got to write it or, or I'm just going to be full of self-doubt and I actually signed up to a writing course um, with the novelry where you can write a book in three months well, you, can, you can do that anyway but um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean I needed somebody to keep me on track and, and, mm. and I was having brainstorming sessions and things and, and I, I did actually already have an agent at that point which also made things easier because I had the agent that had taken me on for the book that didn't sell but she still wanted to be my agent and um she we had a conversation about the idea that would become one moment and she really liked it and I think the fact that she really liked the idea gave me the like confidence to do it but yeah I was so worried that it wouldn't sell um and full of anxiety and I and I I told myself that if it didn't sell I would give up writing altogether not sure if that would be true because I said that after everyone Mm -hmm. but um yeah, a lot of a lot of self doubt, and then um, it went out on submission quite quickly. So, because I had an agent, I she looked at the first like fifty thousand words or so as I was writing it, and then she gave me like a really good editorial point. So actually, at that stage, the book is told from two points of view from Scarlett and Evie, and there is a third character, Nate. Um, and at the big like in the first time I wrote it, um, he had a point of view. So it was actually told oh, from three points of view, and that was how I'd pitched it. it was more about the three of these characters mm-hmm. and the fallout of this one like moment <laughs> that yeah. changes everything. And um, I'd started to write it that way, and it was my agent's feedback about fifty thousand words being like, "Don't think we need Nate's voice." And it was like it was quite a big comment because I had to go back and take out a lot I'd already written a lot of it with him in there and um it was totally the right call and, and I had a panic and then over the course of the weekend I was like no it's okay <laughs> and um so because I'd done such big editorial work early on I actually then didn't have to do a lot when it mm-hmm. was done um and it also went on submission really quickly and I think the speed of everything in some ways helped me to stay slightly calmer that's so interesting that he had a voice in it because having read it and it being just the two of them just Evie and Scarlett I really liked not knowing what was going on in Nate's head because then all of his interactions with Evie 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 uh, neither the reader or Evie knew what he was thinking or what his motive was and so then his plot line becomes a bit of a puzzle which makes the book so compelling because you want to know not only what's going to happen with all of them but what Nate's true intentions are and then it also highlights in the book that really the, the crux of it is about Evie and Scarlett's friendship first and foremost, rather than any sort of relationship that Evie's having with Nate. Yeah, I think um, that was the, taking out his point of view was the, was the point at which I realised it was like more of a love story between friends than mm. a love, traditional love story. I mean, it, there's a love story in it, but um, yeah. Yeah. more of a like celebration of friendship than anything else yeah. um and it's so much better without his point of view <laughs> but it was weird because uh, that was always the intention was to be the three of them um and then it just changed and so what inspired you to write one moment where did the idea for this book come from um so there's a few things and one of the things is very sad and um i actually lost a friend of mine um a few years ago um her name was sophie and she worked in publishing actually 
And um, she was one of my, she was 28 when she died and she died really suddenly of a brain aneurysm. And she was one of my first London friends. I moved to London um, to, to work in publishing. And I moved, my publisher at the time um, was based in Ealing, which is really far out. Mm. <laughs> and I moved to Ealing so that I would be able to walk to work and because, because you don't get paid a lot when you start. <laughs> so it was like to save money on transport. And I didn't, hadn't really ever been to London, which sounds really bizarre. I mean, I think I'd been a couple of times, but not really. I didn't really understand it. It's so intimidating, and I hadn't really thought it would be, as in, I, I don't know. I, like, I just thought it would be easier. And I had, a, I had a couple of friends, but I didn't really, and it sounds stupid now, but I didn't really realise how big London was. Mm -hmm. So the friends that I did have were very far away from me. Um, and I was really lonely and floundering, and Sophie... Um, sort of made my life bearable at a time where I don't know how I would have got through it otherwise and um she and another friend Naomi um we were all well the two of them were kind of the position above me but we were all the same age and or similar age and um junior in the industry and we sort of just like supported each other and like got each everyone through like the three of us got each other through um through through it and um so she was kind of one of my first London friends and um, I was in Mozambique at the time. Um, I'd taken a break <laughs> from work and gone to move to Mozambique and um, I remember uh, walking into an area with Signal and getting loads of like missed calls had come through and like loads of people had tried to message me and you know when you just like know something's, something's happened. Mm -hmm. And um, I spoke to Naomi, the, the third one, because there was lots of messages and I was like, I'll get in touch with her and I... I think I must have known, but I, I, she told me, and I just remember completely collapsing, mm. where like just dropping to the ground and um, not knowing how to process it. And um, I don't know if I would have written this book without that have, have, having happened. Maybe I would have, but um, yeah, it was kind of like a, and that's where the female friendship thing came in. And um, and so like Evie's grief from of losing Scarlett. Um, was something that was kind of familiar <laughs> to write yeah. about um and I remember Sophie was always a really big champion of my writing and um I remember her saying to me once and we were like on the underground and like parting ways on the tube and she was like giving me a hug and she was like don't you know don't give up and she was like you just need to write something real Becky <laughs> and um so she's in the acknowledgments of it of the book but um yeah um so that was part of it and then I think um I'm also, I'm single in my 30s and that can feel really scary at a time where it seems like everyone around you, even if it's, even if it's not true, it seems like everyone around yeah. you is kind of getting their lives together and buying houses and having babies. Yeah, and social media certainly doesn't help. <laughs> doesn't help. And a lot of my friends, home friends, are at all of that stage. So um, some of my London friends, it sort of depends on who you're hanging out with, doesn't it? <laughs> at the time. But I had felt that really strongly and... Um, so therefore, <laughs> even though this love one moment is a love story, I also wanted to write something that kind of celebrated the other relationships in our lives, mm -hmm. and that it's not necessarily all about the romantic leads. Um, yeah. And that was something that came through more strongly as I wrote the book. Mm -hmm. um, so that wasn't really like, an that neither of those are real, like, uh, this is the idea for the book, but yeah. they were sort of, I guess, like ways in to, start to, to starting to write it. Um, and then beyond that, I think I always had the, the scene that the book ends with <laughs> was always quite strong in my mind. Although I think in the original Inception, we having talked about the ending before, we, we just now, but um, 
I think actually that was the before like way before I started writing it just when it was a loose idea in my mind that was like middle of the book and then it was through a conversation with my agent and she'd like misinterpreted something that I'd said and I can't now remember the ins and outs of this conversation but because she'd misinterpreted it we came up with a better idea. <laughs> That's so interesting. And I was like, no, I like that one. And then, it, then, then I ended up writing that idea. But, but it had actually been her slightly misunderstanding what I was going to write. So it was sort of like a work in progress for a while. But then I guess because that happened, you were then like, this is how it was always meant to be. And I, and I sort of forget how it, what it was going to be like because yeah. I never wrote it that way. Yeah, and then given what the ending was without trying to spoil anything for listeners... It's such a strong ending that I can't imagine it going anywhere else in the book. The way you write about grief in the book, from so many different points of views, um, showing how versatile grief is and how everyone wears it so differently, sort of how it affects people differently and how each of the characters are in all different stages of grief is so amazing. I haven't read anything like it before. And like Nate's mum is always the first one that comes to mind for me because it seems like she's in the final stage that just lasts the rest of your life, which is just living with it, I guess. Um, But she shows Evie that she won't always feel the way she's feeling at the moment, even though it obviously will take time. Um, But it's that sort of sense of hope that you you can keep going. Um, Somebody said to me once that grief is circular and um, that's such an obvious thing, isn't it? But... um, I think that's so true mm-hmm. that you and the, the the circles start out I think I feel like the circles start out much smaller so you keep coming back to the really acute grief very very quickly mm-hmm. and you're going in the circle and then as you pro- process the grief the circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger and so you do always come back around and you always have the grief but you are able to like live on this bigger circle if that makes sense yeah um yeah that's so true and it must be so nice to see in reviews that other people feel the way that I felt and that they empathise with the characters because almost everyone has experienced grief and can most likely relate in some ways to at least one of the characters and the stage that they're in. It's been really nice, the review, people that kind of empathise in some way with some aspect of the book has been really nice. Um, I think, every, like you said, everyone goes through grief, doesn't it? Doesn't, don't they? So um, it's something that binds us all together. Mm-hmm. I lost my mum when I was seven and... Um, that still comes back to me sometimes and I'll occasionally like somebody will say something or whatever it may be and I still feel sad about it and um you kind of carry it with you in a really different way and and I and I think when Sophie died it was the first time I was experiencing grief as an adult in that in such a strong way Mm -hmm. um and it was a really different experience Mm -hmm. than the grief I've like lived with my entire life and how much like a part of me that is versus the, the really acuteness of it and I suppose in the book that sort of comes through with like like we said people at different stages and and how that ends up how you, how you live with it mm. and then given that you've experienced so much grief it's incredible that there even is like a thread of hope throughout it that just kind of adds a whole new level to the book and you know on top of Evie's grief she then has that next level of uncertainty where she doesn't know what to do and she doesn't know in life and she doesn't know what she wants to do for a living and that's also so relatable the idea that as soon as we leave education we should know exactly what we want to do with our lives is just ridiculous um i feel like that so that was easy to write um i think a big part of evie's character arc is is trying to come to terms with that she doesn't know and that's mm-hmm. okay not to know the other thing you learn about evie which is 
like you learn early on so i'm not spoiling anything hopefully is that she has ms yeah i've talked that it happens quite early on that you find out isn't it yeah um she's got an ms one of one of the lovely things about this is how is how many people that are struggling with a similar illness either ms or something similar have got in touch to say how much they liked Mm -hmm. having a character with it in the book and um how accurate it was um because i don't have ms um i did a lot of research on it before i started writing it and that was the biggest probably spent about three months just planning and researching Mm -hmm. and i really was worried about because i was so worried about getting it wrong um and it's such an interesting disease because it doesn't um I don't, don't know what the right word is, but it doesn't um, appear in the same way yeah. in, in everyone. So every, everyone's experience of MS will be different. And the, bi- that's the biggest thing is the uncertainty. And, the, and, and that is so ties into why Evie is the way she is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just that. As somebody that was, if Scarlett had it, for instance, I'm sure she would have reacted in a really different way. Evie's personality combined with yes. the fact that ha- has led her to, to, to um, react in this very specific way. It adds such an interesting layer to her character because, unfortunately, it's another thing that's stopping her from living and putting herself out there, understandably. But you get this sense that she sees herself as a weak person, even though we all see as the readers like how strong she is. You just end up wanting to give her a good shake. What is what was interesting to write about, and and I and I again had to like kind of I, d- I read some nonfiction books and I did a lot of research online and, and read kind of. Um, autobiographies about people that had lived with a, a similar illness but is how other people's reactions as well really influence how you then see it so mm. with Evie she is so used to like either the because MS can be quite a hidden illness in that you um it's not it's not as visible as some other yeah. um things so it's a, and, and, and a big part of it is the tiredness um that's mm. like completely unlike anything that you can imagine unless you go through it but um uh, and that is very hidden and 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 tiredness and there'll be like pain that that is hidden pain because again yeah it's not visible and um and so she's used to people saying well i can't see it so it doesn't yeah. exist or people doing the opposite where they panic and they're like but you're not going to be able to walk or because it can lead to that so and so they so they react in a very like jumping ahead and and predicting her future and what she so she is used to those reactions and she she hates all of them and um she can't i think because she hasn't really come to terms with herself as when the novel starts still she was she was diagnosed a while ago but um she is she struggles with other people's reactions to it as much as she does with her own This week's biscuit is the ginger nut biscuit, where there's two ginger nut biscuits and a layer of cream in the middle. But sadly, Becky and I were so busy chatting that we didn't leave enough time to have a biscuit review. So on her behalf, she gave the biscuit an 8 out of 10, and I would give the biscuit a 7 out of 10. And that's all we have time for this week. A huge thank you to Becky Hunter for coming into the office and being so open and honest with me. It was such a privilege. Thank you all for listening and as always if you share our episodes on social media don't forget to tag us at legend underscore times on Instagram and at legend underscore times underscore on Twitter. Until next time, have a great Monday everyone.